Thank you for joining us today for Pilgrim's Progress. Today we're going to conclude this series with Dr. Edward Miller on the Argentine Revival. The name of the series is called Principles of Revival, and you can find it on our website at nationalprayerchapel.com. Another couple went to another house, talked to the lady of the house for about 15, 20 minutes, and she excused herself. I've got to go tend to my mother. What's the matter? She's in bed. Oh, said the little innocent ones, we'll go pray for her. So they walked in and prayed for that woman in bed, and she got out of bed. She'd been paralyzed for five years. Never gotten out of bed for five years. She got out and drank tea with them. An elderly couple went to a neighbor's house and found the man of the house. His name was Ledesma, who was agonizing in death in coma. The doctor said he won't last till midnight. The family were all there waiting for his death. And again, the little innocent one said, well, we'll pray for him. And they did. And out of bed he came. God healed his liver. He'd drunk himself into that situation. He was a cripple. God healed that. And God filled him with the spirit. Hung his crutch up in the church. And they sat around giving me their testimonies. And I couldn't keep the tears back. God said, see, I can work through them. You don't have to go out. You just sit and do what I tell you to do. You just do what I tell you to do. That's all. And so the work began to grow, grow, and grow. Then God said, now I want you to leave this work, and I want you to take over the Bible school in a city, little town, city, a little country town, actually, called City Bell, where they in the process of building a Bible school. They went there. After about a month and a half, perhaps, Bible school subjects following their curriculum. I said, God, did you send me here for this? I said, no. I said, well, what, 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 what do I do? What am I going to do? He said, I've been waiting for you to ask me that. He said, I want you to dismiss all the classes. And I want you to call the people to prayer. I said, God, the board of directors won't, won't handle that. He said, you talk with them, but talk with them one by one. So I proceeded one and then find another. And each one of them gave their permission, which they wouldn't have done together. So Saturday morning, I, I told the, uh, the kids Monday just to come with their notebooks and their Bibles. Forget classes. Forget their books. We're going to seek God. Now, revival had moved up into an area they called Chaco, where Sammy's folks come from. In fact, his grandparents and parents were in that church. And revival went there. And one of the men that were down where we were, he was a, he was a barber, he was filled with the Spirit, went home, told them about it, and God began to move there. And God began to move gloriously there. Many were fear it, but Service, they had to walk to service sometimes 25 or 30 kilometers. But services began and they went way to early morning hours every night. And everyone was there, several hundred. There was a band of young men who were, in our days, they'd almost be guerrillas. But in their day, they were just a, just a gang of ruffians. And the pastor and co-pastor's sons were the leaders of the band. And the pastor's son, his name was Alexander Yuschuk, was a very, very rough character. 
thieving, drinking, carousing, making life miserable for whoever they could find. And they heard about the revival. And they said, hmm, let's go down and bust Ivo. So they planned one night, and they marched in with their guns and their knives showing, and they marched in and sat on the front row. Now, I've learned long ago why people like the back. The front is dangerous. You always watch. They sat on the front row, just waiting for the moment. By, by the, they came early, but by then the service was started, because when God's moving, you don't wait till the hour to start. It starts itself. And <clears throat> service was already going, but they waited for an opportunity to get up there and start shooting a couple windows out and, you know, making mayhem. And they waited for Alex to make his move, and he didn't make it. About a half an hour went by, and suddenly he gave a scream, and up went his hands and down went his knees. He started crying out for God to have mercy on his soul. He was a God who'd never been there before. And when the other boys heard that, the... The other pastor's son nudged me and says, let's get out of here. So up they got and marched out, and none of them made it out the door. God dropped them all. They were converted that night. And as Alex had, had so given his life over to serve the devil, now it just reversed. He sought God. He'd spend the whole night out just, just seeking the Lord, just crying out to God. His whole spirit was turned on. And God sent him down to Bible school, both he and the other. And the other lad. And uh, they were getting more and more nervous. I said, God, is this all it's about? about? Sitting here, stupid old classes. Their spirits were alive. When I gave the order, at last, he jumped to it. That night, he was out all night long. Saturday night, he was out all night long in the meadows around the school, seeking God. Sunday night, he was doing the same thing. And about 2 o'clock at night, he said it began to get light and lighter and lighter until he could read his Bible out there. I got there 2 o'clock in the morning and read his Bible plainly. He felt so strange. Where is the light coming from? He couldn't figure it out. And finally, he turned around and there was an angel standing. It scared him half to death. He took off running full Forrest, back to the Institute. And the door was locked. And he screamed and hollered and pounded on the door till people got up and he ran inside the building to get away and the angel went in with him. <laughs> and then everybody was panicked. I think it was two weeks before anybody would sleep single in a little cot. Some cots had three fellows in them stacked. <laughs> they didn't want to be alone. Monday morning, God was there. Two things took place. One, he was talking, and prayer was automatic. He didn't have to try to pray. It came rolling out. And two, confession started rolling out. I mean, before that first morning, everybody had already gone through their conf first confession period. Before anybody was there, they were making things right with God and right with one another. They were getting some cleansing done first to start off with. God kept digging deeper. And for the next four months, all it was was prayer. And the presence of God was enormous. The word of God would come forth. God would direct the class. He'd direct the studies. He'd direct the scriptures. The prayer would go on for hours. But the, the breakings 
This is when I first found out that when that woman washed the feet of the disciples with her tears, I found out how much tears a human eye could put out. I didn't know it before. I have seen them stretched out on a brick floor. If you know anything about bricks, they're very absorbent, aren't they? seen them after 10 hours with a big wet place and a puddle of tears bigger than a dinner plate. And that went on day after day, hour after hour, many times eight and ten hours a day. One young lad, he liked to lean up against the wall like this and just weep and weep and weep and weep. Cry and cry. It's the Holy Spirit just interceded through his life. He didn't know what for. And he leaned up against the plaster wall, which wasn't painted, and you'd watch that little little river run down that wall. By six hours, it reached the floor. By eight hours, it had run out and began to form a puddle. And that was almost every day. Bill Ernesto Diaz, just to go on with his life a moment later, uh, for a moment, when God ch- changed this, and I'll tell you about that in a moment, God spoke to this lad with another lad and said, I want you to go out to a little town called 25th of May, and I want you to hold services there. So he and his companion went out there. There was a missionary there that had a little church of half a dozen people. Knocked on the door. I said, well, God sent us here. She looked at him. She was a superannuated woman, about 80-some years of age. And she said, God sent a lot of people here, but they don't stay very long. Uh, you can go to that. You take that room. So she gave him the room, and they just locked themselves in there. Went on seeking God. Dinner time came. No, no, don't bother. We won't be out for dinner. We eat. Sunday came. Said, no, we won't go to service. We're just going to seek God. About six or seven days like that went by. And people told us they'd go out for a walk sometime. They'd walk down the street. And people turned look at them because they'd walk down the streets of that city, tears streaming down their face as they wept over the city. As the Holy Spirit wept over the city. See, the Spirit cares much more than we do. I'll explain that God spoke to him after about three, four weeks like that. I said, now go get a tent and pitch it. They only had 30 days before the conference. God said, I want you to do this before the conference. They went, got an old tent, mended it themselves, pitched it up. God moved. In the two weeks that were left to them, that church was filled. Today he's pastoring that church, the lovely church I visited it. To show you how the Holy Spirit looks, I'll regress a little bit. One of the young, one of the women that was a holdout, I told you about. She was a retired school teacher. Her name was Rose, and she was so phlegmatic, so laid back, so unconcerned, took things so easy. And people would be weeping around her, and she shouldn't watch. But she stayed there till service ended, which might be two or three or four o'clock in the morning. I said, God, do something for her. Wake her up. She's so turned off. One morning she came to me. She'd been to service the night before. She came the next morning, and she was angry. <gasps> oh, I never saw anybody so angry. She was angry at God, church, me, everybody. Well, Rose, what's happened? Well, it seemed like while she was at church, her favorite cat jumped off the chair through the rungs, caught himself and hung himself when she got home. Her cat was dead. God can't even keep my cat alive while I'm in church. 
she was angry. And I laughed. I laughed. What are you laughing about? I said, I've been praying for God to do something to wake you up. I'm so glad to see you turned on, even with anger. She didn't like that. She stormed off. But she came to church that night. Before she ever got her shoes changed, God filled her. <laughs> she was filled. I mean, for the next five hours, she was in another world. Then, about two o'clock in the morning, I walked with three or four of them out to the bus stop. And she came back the next, knocked on my door at eight o'clock, weeping as if her heart would break. And I couldn't get her to tell me. All she could say, it was so terrible. Oh, what I saw last night was so terrible, so terrible. <laughs> I couldn't get her to tell me what it was. And I went to my mind. Did a bomb take off? Was it a wreck? Was there a fire? What in the world did she see after I left her? Finally, after about a half hour, I got her quiet enough she could tell me what she saw. A drunk man. I didn't know laugh or cry. It was, it, it was such a letdown. And then suddenly the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, she looks looking through my eyes. See, he was there. So different when you see it like he sees it. It isn't the same. That's why those boys could walk over the city and weep over it. That's why Jesus could weep over Jerusalem. Have you ever wept over a city? You know what it means? When you see it like he sees it. So different. And she wept all that day and all the next. She saw a drunk man. No. Is that all? Well, God began to speak to us. This angel would appear every so often, leave a message. The messages, some of them are written down, are published. Others we couldn't publish. They were either private, other things that weren't for public. Would speak to us many things. But he kept us in that tremendous burden of prayer. We didn't know what for. All we knew was caught up in something bigger than we were. And after ten weeks of this, one Friday afternoon, the Holy Spirit spoke in our midst with words that penetrated every heart. He said, weep no more, for the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed. He says, now I will tell you what I will do. The prince of Argentina has been overcome. I will fill this place. I will fill your greatest stadiums with, with my people worshiping me. And he began to spell it all out, what he was going to do in that land. Impossible. You couldn't even have a service. You couldn't have a public service of any nature. He said, I will fill your theaters. I will change them into churches. And spell on it was written out. Told us what he would do. Couldn't do that. The assemblies of God threw us out because of that. They said, that can't be God. You've left the mark. Nothing happened. Things went on as usual. Bible school was over. We were asked to leave the assemblies of God. Because we were too far out. But while God was speaking to us, an angel came to a man in the city of Tacoma by the name of Thomas Hicks, a man that spent many, much time waiting before God. In fact, he fasted and prayed three different times, 40 days and 40 nights. He said, I dug a well and found no water three different times. The angel came to him and said, I have a work for you to do in Argentina. Three years later, he said, time is ready, go. Came down. Found an interpreter. God, what do I do? On the, road, on, the, on, the tr on the plane down there, he said, God, what do I do? I said, go see Mr. Perone. Well, who in the world is Mr. Perone? So he asked the stewardess on the, tr 
plane if she knew who a Mr. Perón was in Argentina. He says, of course I do. He's our president. The guy said, no. In other words, go see the president. Well, how do you just go see presidents, you know? Try it. So he was one of these individuals stupid enough to try to do what God tells me to do. So he found an interpreter and went up to the government house, we call a pink house, to see the president. Well, of course, he was stopped with a guard at the door with a Tommy gun in his belly. What in the world do you want? I want to see the president. What for? Because I want permission for, to hold a evangelistic service. What's that? Well, so we have a service where we preach divine healing and salvation for the soul. What do you mean divine healing? He told him. You mean to tell me that you think God can heal today? Of course I do. Well, can he heal me? Said the guard. Well, what's the matter? That I've got cirrhosis of the liver and it hurts terrible. Sure I can. Put his hand on him and prayed for him. God instantly healed him. He said, I'm well. It's God. He said, you come back tomorrow and I'll get you in to see the president. I don't know what his connections were. But he went back tomorrow and there was that man with a big smile on his face. He was well. Took him in to see the president. He stood there. The governor of Mendoza had to be there. And the governor of Mendoza told me these things. What happened in that room? Well, sir, what can I do for you? He said, I want freedom of press. I want freedom of religion. I want freedom of radio. I want to be able to put on a evangelistic campaign. Well, what in the world is that? He explained it to him carefully. And the president said, sir, do you mean to tell me that you believe that Jesus Christ can heal today like he did in days of old? Of course I believe that. Fine, said the president. Can he heal me? He had... Um, and type of eczema, uh, let's see what do you call it, psoriasis. Very hard to heal, might be impossible. He'd been to several hospitals, nothing could be done for him. The face was all disfigured. Sure, he said, take my hand. So over the desk they took hands, he prayed for him, God instantly healed him, he staggered back. Caramba, he said, it's gone. He was well. He said, look. You have carte blanche. And he sat down and signed a paper giving freedom of religion, freedom of radio, freedom of press, freedom of anything he wanted. God did in one minute what we couldn't do with any way we ever tried. God did it. He went to the brethren, said, I want to put on a service. Where's the biggest place? Well, they said, we got one place where we'll sit 25 people, 2,500 people. He said, 2,500. If you can't give me a place with 25,000, I won't even start. This blew their minds. So he went out himself and rented the Atlanta Stadium, which seats 25,000. In three weeks, that was too small. They went, God said, I will fill your biggest stadiums. They went to the Hurricane Stadium, which seats 180,000 people. Had never been filled. And it was too small before God got through. They were set outside. They had to put out speakers outside. After service, they had to bring trucks and haul away. People left their crutches and braces and this and that and the other thing. He did what he said he'd do. Every word he said was fulfilled. And to this day, God's moving in that land. You see, we don't have to do it all. God does it. But there was that time of intercession we weren't out fighting with the spirit of Argentina, scared us of death, they've ever told us we were. After all, Daniel didn't fight with the spirit of Persia. The angel did, didn't he? I've had people say to me, we want to fight and pray. We want to overcome the city of Ar 
forget overcoming any spirit of any city. That's not where it is. God says, you just do what I tell you to. He waited on God. God poured through. What was it? What does the Spirit say? What does the Scripture say it is? The Holy Spirit's given to us because we know not how to pray as we ought. To intercede, but how does he say? With groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, tongues is called an utterance, isn't it? Some people think praying in tongues is interceding. It isn't. Forget it. If you can say it, that isn't it. If you can say, if you can form me words for your prayer, you still aren't there. Let me, let me illustrate it for you. You have a very dear loved friend or a relative close to your heart. They die. You stand at their car casket. What are you going to say? Is there something you can? Isn't it beyond words? God has to take you beyond words. Till it's only a groan in the spirit. Till you're actually what you're doing, you're beginning, you're beginning to sense what the Holy Spirit always is sensing. He's letting you into his heart. He's letting you become a part of what he wants to do. And like she saw the drunk man, suddenly your whole heart is broken with a need you don't, don't even know how to say to God. But all you can do is weep. And weep, and weep, and cry out, mercy, mercy, O God. Look at the prayers of Daniel. Look at the prayers of Nehemiah. I and my people, we've sinned. Deserve everything we've got. There's no lamentation. uh, Excuse me. There's no no, um, condemnation of God. God, why did you do this? We deserved everything we've got. But you're merciful. You're merciful. Come to us. And just that plea for mercy. And it went on ten weeks. till he said, all right, weep no more. And you know, the tears were turned off. You couldn't make them cry. You couldn't. It was gone. It was a rejoicing. And then God began to send them out here and there in every place. God has his way of doing things. He has his way, and it isn't our way. When he was ready to do it, he did it. But before he even moved out in, the, in such a spectacular movement of power, he was preparing men and women whose hearts knew how to meet with God. And it didn't stop there. But even after that, God began to build again, not a structured church, not a protocol church, not a him and sandwich church, but a place where they would God was free to do what he wanted to do, where people would obey God, where they would do what the Spirit told them to do. And as God brought us into that, had us form an institute, had us form an orphanage, the Holy Spirit came in a way that in a church situation, he had never come to that land. I'm in power now, but now he came in glory. And the glory that would fill that place Visitors would come, and they'd say, there's a light here that you don't even understand, because you live in it. A light of the presence so manifested, so great, that people could not come into the building without falling for the presence of God. And the cry was universal. My God, I'm in your presence. I'm unclean. And they'd be brought into a depth of repentance that I never knew existed till I saw it. 
I know we had come into it. We thought that was just something special. But here, everybody that stepped into that place, a depth of repent, agony, even to watch. But when they were through, they were into a God that they never knew before. And I'm talking about charismatic Pentecostal people. They just come into that building. By the time we'd sung for five minutes, there'd be a scream, and on the floor they'd go, My God, I'm in your presence, and I'm unclean. Pastors, when that presence came, they weren't. People gather outside, and I'd invite them in and say, Oh, no, I'm not going in there. Why not? If I went in there, I'd have to repent, and I don't want to repent. I'll never forget one time it was, it was humorous. I did several things that were humorous, but this is when I'm... There's about 20 kids at the door. I'd buy them in. They said, no. Why? I don't want to repent. One of them was a little student nurse. Native in size, petite. She was tired. So she came and sat on the threshold of the door watching us. Like to watch us. I thought to myself, honey, you're getting pretty close. And then she was leaning up against the jam. And then she leaned over and put her hand on the floor inside. You know, just leaning on her hand. That's as far as she got. Her hand touched the floor, and over she went, half in and half out, crying out for God, have mercy on me, my sinner. There was anointing. There was a presence. Just one more instant in this session. During this time, an outstanding occasion arose. One of the boys of the orphanage, his name was Sammy. Samuel's father, um, can't call me, it was Aguero, Arevalo, that's it, thank you. He was, once upon a time, a Pentecostal preacher, had left that and gone into spiritism, and now he was the second highest witch doctor in the city. And had written in the papers, they, they by their witchcraft, were going to run us out of the city. And he came and wanted to take his son out of the orphanage, because he was 12 years of age now, and they'd go out and earn a few shekels for him. Home was all broken up. Wanted to see me. I said, look, if he wants to see me, he'll come to where I am, because I'm not wasting my time with him. As far as I was concerned, that was the end of the case. But in an afternoon service, he showed up. I couldn't believe it to see him walk in. I think I was the only one who knew who he was. Big, paunchy fellow, short, with a attache, attache case. Big gold watch across his middle, his vest. Looked around, and they were in a time of worship, praise, paying no attention to anybody. Hallelujah, he said, hallelujah. No one paid attention to him, so that didn't go over. He went over and sat down. God was working on a family of visitors from Buenos Aires. And all four of them, two teenagers and their parents, were on the floor at the same time, going through that same depth of cleansing that would prepare them to come into that place of his presence. As you see, you don't come into that place without deep cleansings. And it took them about two hours to get through. He was watching all this. Then when they got through, oh, they were brought in. And they were, it, was, it was unspeakable and full of glory. And they formed a circle. Now, we'd learned that circles were a very strange thing when God's there. Whatever's inside's inside. And they formed the circle, and they got to where this witch doctor was. And they kind of didn't know how to do it. So finally, they just went and ignored him, formed the circle, and he was inside. I said to myself, uh-oh, we have troubles. That man's inside. God put him there. Let's see what God does. They were just praising the Lord, eyes closed, praising the Lord. And he was getting more nervous by the minute. It wasn't a hot day. It was a cool climate. 
sweat began to form, drip off, plop, plop on the floor. It wasn't hot for us, but it sure was for him. And after about five minutes, I went over to his son, Sammy. Would you like to go pray for your daddy? Go ahead. Went over to his daddy and put his arms around him and started weeping and praying. Dad looked down at him. Didn't know what to do. Put his arm on his shoulder and stood there. About two minutes later, a young lady went out of the circle, came around, stood behind the circle. They were clasped hands at that moment, if I remember rightly. Reached over and put her hands on his head and began to pray for him. He looked around. Her eyes were closed. He couldn't make contact. So he just kind of hunched and stood there while she prayed. Then a young man came over, embraced him, put his head on her shoulder and wept. I said, this won't last long. And it didn't. Less than two minutes, he exploded. Violently pushed them all away. And with a loud voice, began to cast out his own demons. Naming them one by one. You spirit of divination, you spirit of adultery, you spirit of fornication, you spirit of this and that and the other thing. He got rid of That went on for about a half hour. And then he dropped on his knees, tears streaming. And again with a loud voice, but he confessed his sins. About 15 minutes into that, he stopped. He opened his eyes. He looked around. He said, folks, God's in this place. I didn't know it when I came in. God's in this place. And he went ahead, finished his confession, got right with God. That was the end of his witchcraft. He was through that forever. God was there. So wonderful when God comes. The strain's out of it. You don't have to do it. All we need to do is what he tells us to do. But you see, it's so hard first to even know what he's telling you. How do you know it's his voice? My sheep know my voice, but my lambs don't. Lambs don't know a shepherd's voice. I know, I used to raise sheep. They don't know him. It would be six months before they recognize my voice. We were half, over half grown to know that when he's speaking, then do what he tells you to do. That's where it is. You see, it took quite a cleansing for Isaiah to hear God's voice, didn't it? He never heard God speak. He heard the angels. He never heard God speak until that coal from off the altar. He said, I'm undone. I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm a sinner. My lips are unclean. And I come from a people with unclean lips. There are different realms of cleansing that will take you into different realms of relationship with God. The deeper the cleansing, the deeper the relationship. And you cannot have one without the other. But he has to do it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. I've been in seven major revivals, but they all have things in common. One is a deep realm of intercession. One is an obedience when God speaks. God waited four days for that woman to start to touch a table. That's what he wanted. Don't ask me why. If I could understand God, I'd be God. I don't know things like that. I don't know why he asks things that to us seem silly. Do you know why he says, clap your hands, all you people? Did you ever look in the Psalms and see how much we're told to do with imperative tense command form that says, do it? And we think we have the options. We don't have to do it if we don't want it, don't feel like it. How many people think, well, I don't feel like praise, so I don't have to. God says, do it. 
And every one of us thinks we have the right to choice. We have no right of choice. Tells you to dance. Oh, no, I couldn't do that. Why not? I talked to a man recently, a Baptist boy, came to see me. He said, I can't stand you people making so much noise and dancing. Why do you have to do that? I says, he said, why do you do it? I said, because I have told to do it. And I don't have any options. I says, why don't you do it? Doesn't God tell you to do it? I says, why doesn't your church do it? You believe you have the right to tell God, the Almighty himself, that you'll do what you want to do, and if you, don't, if you don't want to, you don't have to do it? I said, I'm told to do it. I don't have to figure out why. I said, do you read your Bible? He said, a little bit. I said, why don't you? You're told to. I said, you know what God does with rebels? Kicks them out of the Garden of Eden. Revival is coming into obedience to Jesus Christ. Lift me up where the doubts and the fears keep me from doing what God wants me to do. So there's a faith and a willingness to obey God. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love and blessing upon us. We thank you for this opportunity of sharing, Lord. It's been very brief, and I'm very poor. How can I ever tell the wonder? How can I explain the glory? God, I can't. It's beyond my words. I can't explain the light. I can't explain the depths. I have no words. But Holy Spirit, I pray the prayer with Paul that the spirit of revelation, the spirit of wisdom would come upon your people that they might know what are the riches of your inheritance in the saints. They might know because God you know they don't know. You know the darkness of minds and hearts. You know the light that is not there. You know the depths of the shadows. You know that, God. You don't hold it against them. You just know that they don't know. They've never been there. They've never seen. Lord, most of these sitting here today have never seen one revival. But at least put in their hearts a desire, a hunger. Lord, lift me up. Lift me up. In the higher ground. This is so low. This is so low down. So empty. So powerless. Where are you? Where's the Lord God of Elijah? Where's the Lord God of Paul? Where's the Lord God of Peter? Where's the Lord God of the men of the ages that have known you? My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise, fears prevail. Lord, take me up into some other place. Into a relationship I don't even know. You can't know until God takes you there. I didn't know. Even when I thought I had it all, I didn't have it. I just couldn't figure out why I didn't have it. It didn't work. I think many people have been filled, quote, filled with the Spirit and have been absolutely frustrated because it didn't work. 
they've been reduced to their own what little giftings their natural giftings had personality gift of gab Lord only you can bring us in to that place a higher plane than I have ever found Lord plant my feet on my heart has no desire to stay Arise and fear dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher. desire this place is not satisfied it's frustrated it's hurt it's confused it's empty and somehow I know there's a higher plane I haven't found it but I know it's there haven't really sought for it. I haven't had enough faith to believe that someplace, somewhere it was for me. But I know it is. And I can't stay here. Could you say that? Not to me. Not to the one next to you. But to your God. I can't stay here. I have to go mountain climbing, work, danger, but I can't stay here. Do you hear a voice from the top of the mountain calling? I did. I couldn't stay down. Our doubts arise 
to evade it I've tried to convince myself it wasn't for me my heart can't be still I can't keep it quiet Lord lift me up would you please give you part almost all but not everything not everything because there's things I love I've been afraid my heart has no desire sometimes it won't be quiet cries out within me it makes me miserable miserable I've been afraid what others would say if I climb my mountain but would you go with me I want to go. I want to.
I wish I didn't know. I've heard that voice from the top. But I felt so bound and so afraid. I wanted to make compromises with you. I wanted to say, meet me here. I've tried to tell you I don't know the way. But I do hear a call. That's my trouble. I know it. I know it. And it hurts. And the emptiness hurts. And the failures hurt. Such a failure. Because I know what you really want. And I haven't wanted to work so hard. I wanted to have it the easy way. I've wanted to go up, but not that way. But it's so miserable, so frustrating. No desire to stay. Where doubts are so rampant, fears so impede. So bind me. Obedience so costly. Man turned away sad from Jesus. Said, Go sell everything. She couldn't hit a table. So simple. So simple. We can't do that. How can we do anything else? I can't do little things. How can I ever do a big thing? Do you want that higher ground? The higher up you go, the more unsure the footing. Yeah, just trust the rock to hold you. Just trust the rock. That's all you can do. Do you want to climb? It's a lot of work. A lot of effort. It's a lot of humility. admitting I need it. It even means admitting, God, I'm so powerless, so empty, so futile.
so fruitless. A ministry that I'm ashamed to stand before you with. Ashamed. Look in those eyes. Those eyes so tender, so loving, but so searching. When you ask me, where are those I gave you? Where are they? What can I say? I didn't seek them out. I didn't find the answers. I didn't want to work so hard. I didn't want to admit my need. What will you say when he asks you about the work he gave you and has not done? Have you ever looked through his eyes? Have you wept over a city? Have you wept over a drunk man? Or have you laughed at them? Have you wept over the hurts of another? Or has a comforter wept through you? That's where it is. Have you covered it up with smart sayings? Your minister, some of you. You don't have to answer me one single word. But someday you're going to answer. Will you like it or not? That's for sure. He's going to ask you about your city. Did you ever weep over it? He's going to ask you about your people. Have you ever brought the comforter to them? He's going to ask you about their hurts and their pains and their sorrows and their sicknesses. Have you ever brought the comforter to each one? See him work. It's going to be hard to answer someday. He'll say, I sent you the comforter. Didn't you need him? Didn't you want him? Didn't you seek him? Did you think you didn't need him? You could do it all yourself. Think you were smart enough? Educated enough? Preacher enough? You didn't need me? I thought that. Except I... I couldn't stand the fact it didn't work. It didn't work. A higher plane than I found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. These are those that stand before a people saying I'll show you the way these are those that stand week by week and say follow me and I'll lead you safely home these are those that stand and say I will show you the way to the pearly gate just do what I tell you 
These are those that look upon a city godless, atheistic, filthy. In the vomit of their iniquity. These are those that face a congregation that are weary and tired. Hanging on the best they can to a powerless gospel. Lord, they stand in your name. Would you reveal to them a new plane? Would you put in their hearts a cry, God, where are you? I don't know you. I just know about you. I know that you're true. I know that you're real. powerful faith I don't know that authority I don't know that energy have I know I'm not responsible for you but I grieve over you I grieve over your people over our people in Atlanta. I've wept over them many and many a time. With a deep desire to bring the comforter, the one that can, into their midst. That's my prayer for you.